Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? What do we believe here at Bethel Primitive Baptist Church concerning the salvation of sinners? Well, we believe in salvation by the grace of God alone. Salvation by sovereign grace. That means that God takes the initiative, moving toward man to bestow salvation, not because he's obligated to bless, but because it's his sovereign will and pleasure to do so. And what I want to do in the course of these few messages is address four primary doctrinal distinctives. First of all, we believe in the new birth. That will be our subject this morning. Now, the new birth is talking about the personal application of God's gift of salvation to you as an individual, what he does to you or inside of you. We believe in being born again. Then we believe in the everlasting covenant. That's the plan of salvation that God made before the world began. So we believe that God planned it. The Holy Spirit applies it to the heart. Then we believe in the finished work of Christ. That is the actual accomplishment of salvation. God planned it. Jesus accomplished it. The Holy Spirit applies it to you, your heart as an individual. And then we believe that the purpose of the gospel is for God's children, the good news of salvation. So we're going to talk about the application of salvation, the plan of salvation, the accomplishment of salvation, and the report or the good news of it. And these are four basic ideas that sort of form the foundation of what we believe concerning how God saves sinners. So this morning, let's look at this passage in John chapter 3 on being born again. And what we see in this reading is a theology of regeneration. 
Now, the idea of being born again is language that is familiar to most professing Christians. You may know that in 1976, in the state of North Carolina, the uh, candidate named James Earl Carter from Plains, Georgia, a peanut farmer, described himself while he was on the campaign trail as a born-again Christian. And of course, that hit the newswire and everyone was amazed that here's a man a self-described born-again Christian. The next year, 1977, a member of the Nixon administration who was serving a prison sentence for his participation in the Watergate scandal, a man named Charles Colson, released a book about a change that happened in his life while he was in prison entitled Born Again. Chuck Colson became a voice for the Christian worldview in America. And then the next year, 1977, Billy Graham, a popular evangelist, released a book entitled How to Be Born Again. So suddenly, within just a couple of years here, we have references over and over again about the importance of being born again. But I want us to ask the question, what does it mean to be born again? And how does it occur? And what do we believe about it here at Bethel Church? Well, regeneration or rebirth or quickening or effectual calling or irresistible grace, these are all theological synonyms, this is a sovereign work of God in the radical transformation of the soul. God changes a person's nature. We're talking about the personal side of salvation. We know Jesus died for all that were given to him by the Father when he died on Calvary. But you see, each individual needs to have something happen inside of him or her during his or her lifetime. And here's the good news of the gospel, dear friends, that the God who planned your salvation, your home in heaven, and the Christ who accomplished it, applies it through the Holy Spirit to your heart. At some point between your conception and the end of your natural life, at some point, there's going to be a change that happens inside of you to where the person who was once not interested in God at all, in fact, he resisted the idea of God. He didn't want to be beholden to God. He didn't want anything to do with God. Now, suddenly, he has interest in spiritual things. Now, he's interested in church. Now, she is interested in learning what the Bible means. Now, they have a desire to pray. And there's a spiritual connection that wasn't there previously. It's like they're alive. They've been born again. And that's the idea of this doctrine of regeneration. That's the theological term. Being called by God effectually in which he speaks and the dead sinner comes to life or as our text says, being reborn. It's something done inside of a person, to the heart, with an actual change in nature. Not just a change of mind or a change of direction. Somebody says, I changed my mind. I'm thinking differently now. It's not just a change in your thinking or a change in your direction. You say, I was going this direction. Or a change in your behavior. But it's a change in your very nature. There's something inside of you that's different now. Transformed, radically transform. That word radical means at the root 
at the very core of who you are, there's something there that wasn't there before. Now, it seems to be a rule that people today assume that everyone, simply by virtue of the fact that they're a human being, or maybe they were born into a good family, or they're a certain ethnicity, or maybe because I was born an American or an Englishman or a Jew, that we're children of God. Somebody says, all Americans, everybody's a child of God. You probably heard of the idea of the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man, that we're all God's children. My friends, that's not the case. The Bible does not teach that. We're not all God's children. Somebody says, well, the Jews are all God's children. No, the Bible tells us they're not all Israel, which are all of Israel. Neither because they're the seed of Abraham are they all the children of God. It tells us that salvation is not by race, but it's by grace. You're not born into this world automatically a child of God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we're born into this world children of wrath, even as others. Listen to the condition of man in his natural state as the apostle describes it in Ephesians 2, the first few verses. He says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Now, what was our condition by nature? We're dead. We're in a spiritual cemetery. And just as the deceased are unable to function in life, they're unable to respond. You can talk to them, but they don't talk back. You can offer them a favor, maybe bring them a Happy Meal from McDonald's, but they don't consume it. You can ask questions, but they don't respond. The dead, my friends, are incapacitated. They are unresponsive to stimuli. And so, spiritually speaking, man is born into this world with his first birth, unresponsive to God, unresponsive to spiritual stimulus. He's incapable of functioning in the spiritual realm. He's dead in trespasses and in sins. You know what happened when Adam fell? He didn't just bruise himself and his posterity. He ruined himself and his posterity. We were devastated by the fall of Adam. In fact, because of that one man's sin, Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. By nature, dear friends, everyone is not a child of God. In fact, every human being since Adam's original sin is spiritually dead, and he goes on to say, Among whom also, among the dead, we also had our conversation in times past, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, that is, we were living for ourselves, according to our passions, according to our own desires. We were self-centered and self-focused, he says, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, if you and I are left in our first birth, you know what, what our end will be? Wrath. We're the children of wrath, just like everybody else. That is, the judgment of God will come upon us. I love the next verse in Ephesians 2, but God. But God. Aren't you glad there's a but God? Aren't you glad he didn't say period, end of story, let's go home. We're the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. Now the word quickened means to make alive. 
to vivify, to animate. He hath quickened us. He has renewed us. He has reborn us, regenerated, generated again. You say, Brother Mike, something's wrong in the way I was born. Something's wrong with my thinking, with my attitudes, with my moral compass. It's like I need to go back and have it done over again. I need to be reborn. That's exactly the case. See, by nature, dear friends, we are headed in the wrong direction because we're bent toward sin and corruption. But God, in His great mercy, because of His great love wherewith He loved us, intervened in your story and in mine. Isn't that your story? I don't know when it happened in my life. I know people that say they know exactly when they were born again. Well, I, I can't remember my first birth. I'm told it happened on the 19th of July, the year of our Lord, 1962, but I really have little recollection of what happened there in Tulia, Swisher County, Texas, when I was brought into this world. But... I have pretty good evidence that it happened because I'm here. Somebody says, can you prove you exist? Well, here I am. And in a spiritual sense, you may not know exactly when it happened. In fact, did you know sometimes God will quicken a person even before they are born naturally? I know at least two people in the Bible, maybe three. John the Baptist and David. David was made to hope while on his mother's breast. John the Baptist leapt for joy while he was in his mother's womb. And Jeremiah, that he may be a third, chapter 1 tells us that before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee, and uh, I called thee a prophet to the nations. Now, the idea is that it doesn't matter whether you're an infant in utero, or a person living, moving, breathing among men, or whether you're at the very end of your life. God will reach every one of the objects of his love and change them on the inside. He will do something in their heart that they couldn't do for themselves. And he will bring them into a vital relationship with himself so that they're born into his family. Now, the Bible teaches adoption, that God takes us out of Adam's family and adopts us into his family. But it also teaches regeneration, new birth. Adoption gives us the family name, but the new birth, regeneration, gives us the family nature. You see, we're not only adopted, but there's an actual transformation or nature change that takes place in the heart when a person is born again. And what really happens here is the transaction of Christ on Calvary when he shed his blood for the sins of his people is personally applied to that individual. So you are cleansed, you are renewed and there are so many verses that talk about this, but John chapter 3 is the premier passage. And again, this passage gives us a theology of regeneration. So what we're teaching is that because of Adam's original sin, we all come to this world. Our first birth has left us in a state of spiritual death. And we must be made spiritually alive or regenerated, reborn, if we will ever see God's face in peace. Now I want to make four observations from our text this morning. I want you to notice first the source of the new birth. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now the Pharisees were the superior school of theology. That is, they were the theologians. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. So here's a religious man, first of all. 
a very pious man, very meticulous about the way he served Jehovah. And notice not only is he a religious man, probably a theologian, but it says he's a ruler of the Jews, which is a political designation, and it would equate to being a senator, a United States senator. Here's a politically influential man who holds a high office in governmental affairs of the Jews. So he's religious and he's politically powerful, like a United States senator. It says, the same came to Jesus by night. Now, we're not told why he came by night, but I think common sense would argue for the fact that he doesn't want anybody to know. He's intrigued, he's curious, he is interested in talking to Jesus, but he doesn't want the publicity, the negative publicity that he's fraternizing with this Johnny-come-lately rabbi. And he came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, the word means teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Now, it sounds like he's giving him, you know, the gas before he puts him under for surgery. <laughs> sounds like he's just flattering Jesus. But I suspect that Nicodemus is legitimate here, that he's honest when he says, there's a consensus among some of us Pharisees that you're different than a lot of other teachers. He says, we know that you're a teacher come from God. You're not of the devil. For he says, for no man could do the miracles that thou doest, except God is with him. Now, what miracles has Jesus already done? Well, the only one that's recorded is in the previous chapter. At this, We're in John 3 this morning. John chapter 2, the first miracle, it says, was turning water into wine at the marriage feast in Cain of Galilee. So that may be the first and the only one that's happened so far, but it was enough to spread the news that this Jesus is different. So Nicodemus comes to him by night, and he says, we know that there's something connected to God in your ministry. Now, he doesn't affirm that Jesus is God. He doesn't hint that he might be the Messiah, but he says, we know that you're a legitimate spiritual teacher. For no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God is with him. So he's curious. Can you see that? You see his curiosity. Jesus answered and said unto him, thank you so much for the compliment. Is that what it says? Notice Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the kind things that Nicodemus said, but he says, Verily, verily, amen, amen, truly, truly. That is, this is an axiomatic truth. This is not open for discussion. This is a fundamental principle. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, now the word thee is singular. I'm talking to you singularly. But the word you that he's about to mention, ye must be born again, verse 7, the word ye is plural. So he says, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Jesus says, here's my response to you. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice in this verse the source of the new birth. And you see it in that little word again, except a man be born again. Now we talk about rebirth, new birth. Your first birth has brought you into trouble. You need to be born again. But the word again may also carry this idea of from above, except a man be born from above. Now we know that according to James 1.17, every good gift and perfect comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing in your life and mine, my beloved, has come from God. The new birth is no exception. In fact, 
It's the best gift. It's the gift of spiritual life. It's the gift of eternal salvation. And it's not something horizontal. It's something vertical. It comes from above. Now, my first birth was horizontal. Father, mother produced me. But yet, this one comes not from any man, but it has to come from God, from above. The source of the new birth. That's why in verse 12, Jesus says that it's a heavenly thing. If I've told you earthly things, if I've spoken in language metaphors that you can understand and you believe not, you don't seem to grasp what I'm saying, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? That is, if I actually describe what happens, notice the new birth's a heavenly thing. I like that verse in Hebrews 3.1 where he says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of your profession, Christ Jesus. When God calls somebody, when a person's called from death and sin to life in Christ, my friends, that comes from heaven. It comes from above. It's a holy calling according to 2 Timothy 1.9. It's a heavenly thing according to verse 12 in this passage. That is, it's something supernatural and miraculous in its origin. It's not natural and biological. Except a man be born again. Likewise, in the first chapter of John's Gospel, John traces the origin of regeneration to God when he says in verse 12, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, watch this, which were born. Now they believe right now, but they were born before they believed. Notice the verb tenses in these verses. Which believe, even to them which believe on his name, which were born. And by the way, there are three B's you need to remember. Birth, belief, and baptism. And the order is important. You want to know what primitive Baptists believe? Keep these in this order. Birth comes first. You got it? Birth comes first. Then belief. And then baptism. Now, there are Christian groups that say you've got to be baptized first as a baby. Then later you're confirmed or you believe, and then you're, you can be born again. You can be saved. They say baptism, then belief, then birth. Baptism does not come first. Belief does not come first. Many of our missionary Baptist friends, Southern Baptist friends, say that you've got to believe, and then you're born again, and then you should be baptized. But you know, a person who's deceased can't believe. It takes life. Life has to come before action. You've got to be alive. So birth comes first, and then you believe, and then you're baptized. And by the way, if you want to know what primitive Baptists believe, there you got it, the three Bs. Birth, belief, then baptism. Well, he says here, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 1.12 again says, which were born, not of blood, this isn't something that comes through your bloodline or genealogy. Not of the will of the flesh. It's not your activity that brings us about. Nor of the will of man. Now, I don't know how much plainer a verse can be than that. Somebody says, you've got to make the decision. You've got to exercise your free will. He says, it's not of the will of men. They were born not by the will of man, but of God. Now, the preposition of has reference to the source or the origin of this blessing. The new birth is something that happens not by means of something any person does, but it's solely because of God's sovereign will and power. In fact, there are three metaphors in your New Testament for this doctrine of regeneration. Three images that you can identify with and I can. And by the way, each of these metaphors teaches that uh, you couldn't have done it.
Our text speaks of it as a birth, a new birth. What did you have to do with your first birth? Anything? I was just the passive beneficiary. I, I, I wasn't active. I didn't decide that I wanted to be born. I didn't uh, lobby my parents, say, hey, I'd like to come into the world. This was something somebody else decided, something somebody else did, you see. I'm just passive in it. It's a birth. When you're saved for heaven, it's like a birth. You didn't decide to do it. You didn't work toward it. You didn't contribute toward it. You're the passive recipient, the beneficiary of it. Somebody else did the work and it happened to you. The second metaphor that's used in the New Testament is it is a resurrection. John chapter 5 verse 25 says, The hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Now notice he's not talking about the voice of the pastor or the voice of the evangelist or the voice of mother, father, brother, sister, neighbor, or friend. But the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The same voice that spoke in the morning of creation. Let there be light. And suddenly He created a world that did not previously exist. So that same creative fiat, the divine imperative, the voice of the Son of God speaks. The Bible tells us in Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. That verse doesn't mean by the Bible were the heavens made. The Bible hadn't been written yet when creation took place. Right? The word of the Lord means His spoken voice, His creative voice. That He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Likewise, that voice of the Lord is powerful in raising the dead to life. You remember... In the three examples during the public ministry of Jesus when the deceased were raised to life, in each case, Jesus raised them precisely the same way by speaking directly to the dead. Now, he didn't always heal blind people in the same way. One time he healed a blind man by spitting on the ground and making clay and anointing the man's eyes. One time he healed a blind man by just touching his eyes. One time he healed him by speaking. But he always raised the dead in the same way. Do you know how he did that? The three examples are the widow's son at Nain, Luke chapter 7, Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 6, and then Lazarus in John chapter 11. In each case, he spoke directly to the dead. Young man, I say unto thee, arise, he said to the widow's son at Nain. Talitha kumai, damsel, I say unto thee, arise, and then Lazarus come forth. Some of our old preachers used to say if he hadn't have said Lazarus, then the whole cemetery would have come forth. Because the voice of the Lord is powerful. It's creative. He calls those things that are not as though they were, and they come to pass. Now, what happens when a person is born again? He's born. And just as you didn't have anything to do as far as your natural birth, no con contribution to make, so you and I don't have any contribution to make regarding our new birth. It's something that happens to us. And just as you and I can't raise the dead, there's only one person who can resurrect the dead. The voice of the Son of God speaks, and He speaks to the dead. And they that hear shall live. Just as surely as He said, Lazarus come forth, Lazarus didn't say, 
just a minute until I make the decision and I'll cooperate. It says, he that was dead came forth immediately, instantaneously, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. When the Lord decides to call a person from death and sin to life in Christ, my friend, I want to tell you it happens just like that. And there are no failures. Everyone is a success. It's effectual. We speak of the effectual call. What does the word effectual mean? It means it's effective. It accomplishes what it intends to accomplish. You believe the Lord's ever failed to save a sinner? You believe when he set out to quicken somebody, to change somebody's heart, that he ever met with such resistance that he said, well, I'll just have to try again later. You know, when Saul of Tarsus, he's probably the hardest case I would think of. Saul of Tarsus on the way to Damascus to bind the saints and to cast them into prison. He was persecuting the church. He was on a campaign to exterminate the name of Jesus Christ from human history. Paul wanted to rid the world of this plague. But while he was on the course to Damascus in Syria, the Lord appeared to him with a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. And Saul was struck to the earth. And he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You can read about this in Acts chapter 9. And Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? And the answer came back, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now, he thought Jesus was dead. Jesus had been crucified not long before that, you see. But Jesus is alive. And Saul is persecuting the followers of Jesus, but Jesus is taking it personally. I want to tell you, when you persecute the people of God, the Lord takes it personally. If you were to criticize my wife, I'd probably take it personally. I would. Because uh, she's part of me. There's a union there, you see. If you were to slander her name, my friends, you'd have me to answer to for what it's worth. There's such a close spiritual union between Christ and his people that when the church is persecuted by the world, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, like an ox that's stubborn and rebellious against the ox goats, you know, I mean, here's an ox and the wagon driver, you know, says, move forward, you know, mush or whatever he says. And the ox kicks back, but I'll tell you, he doesn't do that very much because it really doesn't accomplish anything. He said, Saul, you've been kicking against me. And by nature, every man, I want to tell you, is opposed to God. He's resisting but I'll tell you, whenever the Lord changes him, he can't resist anymore. It's irresistible grace. When the Lord changes the heart, then he complies. He that is dead comes forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes like Lazarus. By the way, think about that. Lazarus came forth bound hand and foot. You know how the Jews bound a body for burial? They took strips of cloth and they started wrapping the hand, wrapped all the way up the arm, and then bound that arm to the torso. Then they did the other arm. And they bound it to the torso. And then they wrapped the feet all the way up and put a napkin on the head. And it was mummified. Then they'd take certain spices and ointments and put it in the folds of those cloths. And it would harden and make a mummified encasement. Grave clothes. Grave clothes. I want to tell you, Lazarus is bound hand and foot with grave clothes. John chapter 11. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. How's he going to get up? Have you thought about that? 
Is it going to say, well, just a minute, let me stretch and put my... You know, when I get up, and more and more as I get older, I have to support myself. I have to kind of get me a little leverage. But Lazarus, it says, he that was dead came forth bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. I'll tell you, he just sprang forth like a spring. He didn't contribute to it, in other words. God did it. God did it. And that's what happens when a person's resurrected from death to life. By the way, that's the idea in 1 John 3, 14 that says we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. If you have a love for the Lord's people, for the Lord's church, if you love the family of God, my friends, not just your own family, your natural, but if you love the people of God, now I know they get on our nerves and I know we all have our rough edges, but if you truly care about them, if you hurt when they hurt, if you rejoice when they rejoice, that's an evidence that you've passed from death to life. You've been resurrected. What is passing from death to life? Resurrection. So birth, resurrection. The third metaphor is creation. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now here's the question I ask you. What did you do to contribute to your natural birth? What capacity do you have to resurrect a dead body? What power or ability do you have, my friends, to create? Now, we can manufacture, but we can't create. I forget which old preacher it was that said, man can't create anything. And he said, well, he can create a fuss. He said, no, he can't even create a fuss because he's got the ability to have a fuss within himself. You know, to create means to make something when nothing exists. I can't just create. I can't make something unless I have some raw materials to work with. Here's the thought. The new birth, the spiritual resurrection, the new creation is the work of God. The source of the new birth is the sovereign will and purpose of God. Let me make one more point before we close today. We'll come back and try to finish this later. Let's talk about the nature of the new birth. Look at verses 4 to 6. Nicodemus saith unto him, So Jesus said, Except a man be born again. Here's the one condition. This is a prerequisite to going to heaven, to living with God in peace. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, of course, Nicodemus was a powerful man, right? Senator, a ruler of the Jews. He was a religious man, a Pharisee. But Jesus says, Nicodemus, every human being needs to be born again. I want you to notice what happens when a person is born again. Now, the nature of the new birth. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? It's a legitimate question, right? Born again? I'm already 70 years old, 50 years old. How can I start over? That's his question. He's thinking only in natural terms. Right? We're, now, we're not talking about something biological. We've already said that. It's born from above. We're talking about something supernatural, something miraculous, something vertical, not horizontal. Nicodemus saith, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? I suspect Nicodemus thought he had Jesus in a corner with this question. Well, yeah, right, how can that happen? There's no way. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water 
and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, this is a curious verse, and it has given rise to various what I call theological errors, the chief of which is baptismal regeneration, the idea that you've got to be baptized in water, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But I love what Elder Sonny Powell said one time, it takes a special pair of spectacles to read the word baptism in John 3, 5. It's not there. Look at it. Except a man be born of water. He doesn't say the baptismal font. Baptismal water. He, the word baptism's not there. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's also given rise to this strange idea that he's talking about amniotic fluid. You know, that you've got to have a natural birth and then a spiritual. But you know, the Bible teaches that God can quicken his children even before they're born naturally. In fact, some of them aren't born naturally. How many little babies have died in infancy, in utero, before they ever saw the light of day? They weren't born of water if that's amniotic fluid. He's not saying you have to have a natural birth, then a spiritual birth. The words water and spirit are synonyms. Now think of the Jewish mind. The Jewish mind. In our Western mind, we think differently than they did in the East. The Jews understood that there was a spiritual symbolism to various natural elements. Fire is often used to depict the presence of God, the judgment of God. Water is a symbol in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this verse in Isaiah 44.3. Isaiah 44.3 is a parallelism. That's a literary form that gives you two thoughts that are parallel. Listen to this. God says, I will pour water upon him that's thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Okay, you got the idea? God's going to pour water on the thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Colon. Two dots. That means he's about to explain what he just said. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Notice you have two clauses, then a colon, then two clauses. And the second explains the first. This verse teaches that water was understood by the Jews to be an emblem of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Jesus even teaches that in John 7. Remember when he says, He that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Water is a Jewish construct for thinking about the divine work of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says, except a man be born of water, even of the Spirit, the word and in this verse, as it does in other verses in the New Testament, may mean even. Even of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom. He's saying you need something supernatural, not something just natural. Let me also say it like this. The word water suggests that when you're born again, there's a cleansing that takes place. And the Spirit suggests that when you're born again, there's a renewal, there's an animation that takes place. Titus 3.5 is the verse we'll end with this morning. Where the Apostle says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Somebody says, Brother Mike, how do you get to heaven? Well, you've got to work really hard. No, he says it's not by works of righteousness which we've done. But according to his mercy, he saved us, watch this, by the washing 
water, washing, cleansing of regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. My beloved, the nature of the new birth is that there is an actual change that takes place in the heart in which your sins are cleansed, washed away. Now, Jesus shed his blood on the cross legally to cleanse us from our sins, right? His blood on the cross is the price for redemption. And on the record books, I want to tell you, your sins have been blotted out. There's no charge against any child of grace for whom Jesus died because his sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. But you still have sin inside of you, right? And I do too, every day. And I need that sin to be cleansed inside my heart. I'm dirty. I'm corrupt. By the way, the word depravity means corruption. And oh, we need a bath. John 13.10 says, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. That is, once you've been entirely cleansed by the grace of God in the new birth, you don't need that again. You don't need to be born again again. Thank God for that. But you do need some partial cleansings each day from in your conscience as you walk along life's way. You need to appropriate the promise of his forgiveness in your conscience. Confess your sins. Keep short accounts with God. Indeed, the nature of the new birth is that it is an actual change that takes place in your heart in which you're given us new nature that's sinless and holy. All in all, what we've been saying this morning is Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, and the antecedent of the word that is faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not your contribution to your own salvation. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. He did it. By the way, the word workmanship means poem in that verse. You're God's poem. He's written a poem in your life. Anything beautiful about you, anything admirable about you or me, my friends, is because God has intervened in, a, in my history, in your history. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you're in a safe place. Unto good works. Now, there is a place for good works, but it comes after spiritual life, not before. Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know what I've been preaching this morning? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And that'd be a good song to sing, wouldn't it? As we offer an opportunity for anyone who desires to unite with the church this morning.